Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Hi, and welcome to Connections. I'm Mike Tom with Colleen Hood. Today on the show, an incredible story of perseverance. It's a full circle story, sure, to encourage you. It's about a young man, now a doctor, who beat the odds to help others. Russell Liday was once a security guard at a hospital in Louisiana. Today, he's a doctor at that very same hospital. That great story is coming up right here on Connections. Today, you can call Russell Joseph Liday Dr. Liday, but that wasn't always the case. It's a great story. He has beat the odds to get to where he is today. So we want to start from the beginning of your story. Tell us a little bit about life, because you have a, a full circle, very inspirational story. Yeah, so um, my journey is very, very, very uh, winding, but it's, it's interesting. Um, so I started off in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That was my birthplace. Um, I was born and raised there in a little um, neighborhood called Car Shop. Um, you know, poor neighborhood, um, some crime, and, you know, kind of just trying to make it by. Um, a lot of single moms in the neighborhood. We just kind of, you know, tried to figure it out as we were going. And, um, I kind of skipped to, you know, high school was tough for us because I think that was the point where things were kind of breaking for my mom in terms of being able to afford to, you know, keep up with the rent and all the bills, single mom. And I was starting to get older. My sister was starting to get older. There's two of us. Um, so she decided that we couldn't stay in the house we had been staying in pretty much for all of my childhood um, and adolescence. And so she, she moved out and, um, you know, during that time it was, it was kind of challenging. So we, you know, it got to a point to where we were um, dumpster diving for dinner um, you know, and, and, and I, I always look back on that moment because I remember being in a dumpster behind Sam's club on Broad Street in Lake Charles, Louisiana, um, me and my sister and, um, one of my cousins and my mom and my grandmother being in the car looking out for us so that we wouldn't get in trouble for digging in the dumpster. Um, and you'll see why that's important as I, as I go through the story. So, you know, it's, that was kind of challenging throughout high school. And, um, I kind of found some solace in this girl who, um, is now my wife of 14 years. Um, but she came from a more affluent family. My senior year in high school, um, I had pretty much finished up high school early. So with all that trouble I had going on, I was always really good in school. So, um, I got to go to this community college for my last year of high school and I met her there. Um, and she came from a much more affluent family, but she also had a Christian background. And I think that's mostly what attracted me to her was her, her humbleness her grace and just her ability to kind of see life from a very wide angle. Um, so I remember telling one of my friends on the yard at that community college, like, I'm going to marry that girl one day. <laughs> nice. Um, now here we are 14 years down the road. I definitely fulfilled that, uh, <laughs> that dream. Um, you know, so, so I was convinced that going to the military was pretty much my only option to get out. Um, and it was cause I didn't even think college was an option. You know, I came from, um, a place where my mom didn't know how to fill out a fast form. Um, she had never gone to college before. 
and I didn't have any family members that I could, you know, tangibly get my hands on um, who could help me. So I thought only rich people go to college. And I was like, okay, so that's not an option. So maybe, you know, um, going to the military is an option. I'm going to get a good paycheck. I'm going to be able to help my mom. Um, I'll be able to help my sister. And I'm going to get to see the world. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this chance. And I did really well on the ASVAB. So I went to the United States Navy. Um, my first duty station was at the United States Navy Ceremonial Guard, which is in Washington, D.C., um, you know, it's the guys you you usually see on TV with the pristine uniform, standing still for hours on end. So I was one of those people. Um, I buried a lot of um, my shipmates in, in Arlington National Cemetery, Quantico um, Cemetery, and did a lot of ceremonies for really important people. And that was kind of my first exposure to successful people. And I would always ask them, like, how do you become successful? I was like, I never met successful people before. So, and they would always tell me like, just don't ask for permission. Just ask for forgiveness. I was like, go do, go do what you want to do. You know, like, don't, don't wait on someone to tell you that it's okay for you to do it. And even, even then I was like, nah, that might work for you, but I don't think that's going to work for me. Um, but I had a job and I was making some money and, you know, I was learning a little bit of the world at the time and, and I was okay. Um, but I did keep those thoughts in the back of my mind to, you know, ask for forgiveness. Don't ask for permission. Um, and so, you know, as, so after I left Washington, D.C., I went to cryptology school in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And that was the first time my wife and I had uh, we, we moved in together. We were married um, while I was in Washington, D.C., but it was just a little bit too complicated for us to stay together while we were up there. Um, so you were and married and you didn't, so you were married and you didn't get What's to that? live together? Nah. It was just a little too complicated, man. Um <laughs> the, the schedule in Washington DC was incredibly hectic. You know, you're up at four or five o'clock in the morning, you're coming home late, you gotta have these uniforms like in like the most immaculate shape twenty four seven and you're working out all the time. I was a casket bear. So all you do is just carry caskets, lift weights, eat, and do more funerals. It was just, it wasn't conducive um, for marriage. And I think we had gotten married um, at like towards the end of my first year on that duty station. And I knew I only had one more year left. But I also knew that once I started cryptology school, she could move with me for sure. Um, Plus she had a lot of stuff going on back home. um, Because she's from like 30 minutes outside of where I'm from. Um, maybe like, yeah, 30 to 45 minutes outside of where I'm from. And it was just, it, it was just simpler for us to do it that way. Um, so I moved to Pensacola, um, and she moved with me and, um, you know, I was going through school, but I was, I was also going through the growing pains of being a newly married couple. That was a really challenging time, but now we look back on it and we're like, if we could survive that, and we could survive anything. And that's kind of been our, our tenant in our marriage is we just had to defy the odds because the odds were, you know, if you get married in the military, there was a high chance that you get divorced. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know too many people when I was in the military who didn't get at least one divorce. Huh. So, you know, our motto was we will defy the odds. We're going to keep it together. We're going to work it out. We're going to figure out how life is. And now we look back on it and we like what one hell of a journey, <laughs> you know, um, so 
Pensacola was over, cryptology school was over, and I got stationed aboard a ship in um, in Jacksonville, Florida. Actually, Mayport, Florida, but a lot of people don't know what Mayport is, so I say Jacksonville because it's easier um, to digest. And um, once I got aboard, actually, the first day I reported aboard ship, we left. We we deployed that day, so we started off on a bad foot because. Now, so my wife came from a, a mom and dad at home. I came from just mom at home. So she she had a better understanding of what a family unit was. Um, and me being deployed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes we're out for two weeks. Sometimes we're out for six months. Sometimes we're out for a week. She was, you know, she sat me down and she was like, Russell, listen, we cannot build a family like this. It's like, we can't. Maybe other people can, but we can't. Um, and so you're going to have to find something else to do with your life. But I was really in love with being in the military. I thought I was going to be the master chief petty officer of the Navy. And then there was a time when I thought I'd be the chief of naval operations. Um, and she looked at me and she was like, nah, bruh, you're going to have to find <laughs> something else to do with your life because I want to build a family. And we can't do that with you being going every time you get a good chance to roll. <laughs> um, plus, you know, there's some stigmas with being a Navy sailor when you go away yeah. and I didn't want to fulfill those stigmas. Um, I, I definitely wasn't one of those people. Um, but I, I understood that it's hard as a wife or just a partner. Um, when your spouse is away and you know, you're going to have doubts about whether or not they make it home alive or whether or not, you know, there's any infidelity or just, you know, you're just worried because they're gone. And the whole point of a relationship is to spend time together no matter what. So, um, you know, I got some encouragement from her, um, and I got some encouragement from a guy named Ensign Engel, who's actually a, um, an actor in California now. Um, but he was my, my senior when I was aboard ship. And um, I remember one night, it was around midnight, and um, he and I were on watch uh, mid-deck, and I was just asking him questions. I was like, man, do you know, you know, do you, do you think I'm smart enough to go to college and, you know, like, what is it like on a college campus? And like, how do you find what building you're supposed to be in? You know, how do you know what time you're supposed to be there and all these things? And he was like, man, you just don't know how smart you are. Like, he was like, you have no clue. He was like, you know, because we had been on a ship, I think by this point, like a year and a half. And I had like gotten all these qualifications in like literally weeks and it usually takes like months to years to get them. And everybody on the ship would always be like, like, bro, how are you doing these things? Like, how can you learn all this information so fast? And I was like, it's actually easy. <laughs> and um, he was like, man, you're smart enough to go to college. But he was like, you're running circles around people in college. And although I still was doubtful, my wife helped me to fill out my application to go to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is a historically black college and university. Um, and I got in. Uh, we bought our first house in Baton Rouge, um, and we actually still have that house. Um, and we rent it out now. And, uh, you know, we moved. So I left the I left active duty and I joined the reserves. Um, so I finished up my five years active duty. Um, and all in all, I ended up finishing, I think, about four, four and a half uh, more years. So it came out to about nine and a half years of total service um, between active duty and, um, and the reserves. And so I really ended up finishing my time in the reserves um, as soon as I finished college. So when we moved to Baton Rouge, I started college. My wife and I were in our first house. 
obviously you need a job because the reserves doesn't pay that much. And so, um, you know, I got a job as a security guard um, at Baton Rouge General Hospital. So we started school in August of my freshman year. And by September, I was working at Baton Rouge General um, as a full-time security guard. So my schedule was, I wake up at around six or seven, um, I go for a run, and then I get in my car and go to school, learn all day. And then at about 3.15, I made sure all my classes were during the day. So at 3.15, I could get in my car, change, my, change it to my uniform, and then it was like a 15 minute drive to the hospital. And then I'd be to work from four o'clock. And then I stay at work from four to midnight. Wow. And then after that, sometimes I study at the hospital or if I was too tired, I'd go home um, and wake up early in the morning, study a little bit, and then go back to school um, and do it all over again. And then on the weekends that I had drill for the reserves, I would just get off at midnight on Friday because you report for drill at 7 a.m. on Saturday. And I drive from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Pensacola, Florida, which is about a six hour drive right after I get off work um, <laughs> and just make it happen. And then, you know, after I finish my work day for the reserves, then I can sleep. So, and then, you know, you wake up Sunday morning, you go to work again. And then as soon as I get off work, I just book it straight back to Baton Rouge because I had school on Monday. Okay. You said, so, you said if I was tired, most people would be tired the entire time. What kept you so driven? I mean, a part of it is, man, to be honest with you, when I tell everyone this, when, when, you, when you weren't aware of what you were capable of doing and then you get an opportunity to do it, hmm. and it's all new to you. Like, everything I'm doing now is new. Everything is new. The fact that, you know, I'm working in a hospital with a white coat on, the fact that, you know, I get to share my story. Like, everything that I'm doing in life right now is new. Because I didn't grow up with an idea that all this stuff was, like, possible. Like, none of this stuff was possible. Like, none of this stuff was even in my mind. So it's all new. Everything is new. And when things are new, they invigorate you. They, like, they motivate you. They, they keep you going. Because you start to realize, like, the possibilities are endless. Because you're just finding out, like, it's like Pandora's box being open. Every day there's a new box being open. I guarantee you that. At least for me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm able to be a dad who's at home. I never experienced that. So, like, every day as a dad is, like, it's magical. Because, like, my kids are getting older. And I'm learning, like, all these things about how parents interact with children. But I didn't see that growing up. <laughs> you know, I didn't see... I didn't have my dad at home with me to interact with me. And I'm learning now how to dad a nine-year-old as opposed to an eight-year-old or a two-year-old as opposed to a one-year-old. And all these things are like so invigorating. And when you get new information and everything is new, it's kind of hard for you to get tired because you're so excited. You're so excited about the fact that everything is new. Imagine like going to the store every day and getting new clothes to put on. You're so excited when you get new clothes and new shoes. Yeah. You, you know, you can't sleep because you want to put it on. It's like every day is like the first day of school. <laughs> every day is like the first day of school, literally, you know. And so it's, it's, it's endless excitement. And, and it's been that way since – it's been that way since I joined the military, every day. I, I have rarely – like I've, I've been up all night and I'm not tired right now <laughs> um, because I'm just excited. Like, I, I mean, I think I'm just excited about the fact that it's, you know, I'm – I'm living a life that 
I didn't dream I could. Well, it's a pretty amazing dream come true. We'll hear the rest of the story and hope it inspires you to dream. That's coming up tomorrow on Connections. Don't forget, you can listen to the entire conversation. Again, it repeats every evening on your local radio stations. You can also find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including podcastville.ca.